Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome, everybody, into another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Georgia Southern writer for Underdog Dynasty, Brian Stone, joined again this week by Georgia State writer for Underdog Dynasty, Zeke Palermo. Uh, Zeke, we had the the Sunbelt title game uh, this past Saturday. Um, A little bit of a letdown. We'll get into sort of the ins and outs of, of why that was, but... You know, you'd kind of like to see a little bit more of a competitive uh, contest than what we saw. Yeah, uh, really disappointing, especially considering that, um, uh, for those that don't know, Troy 45, Coastal Carolina 26, and uh, really disappointing. But what makes it just sting even a little bit more is we could have had James Madison in this game. And forever, where it's going to be the what if. What if we got JMU in there? Uh, obviously, they weren't eligible. First year in the conference, first uh, year in the FBS, but it was a disappointing game. Nonetheless, it was an interesting game uh, with a, a few storylines throughout that I, I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, so uh, first off, we want to say, you know, obviously, congratulations to Troy. Um you know, they they always say defense wins championships, and that was never more apparent than on Saturday uh, when, you know, Troy has a great defense. No one has ever disputed that. However, I don't think either one of us anticipated them jumping out to sort of the offensive explosion that they did to open this game. I mean, you know, we can go ahead and jump right into it, but I have a question for you when it comes time to to dig into more of the coastal side. Uh, and get your take on this. But yeah, just to start, I mean, Troy jumped out to a massive 31 to nothing lead uh, to start this game. Um, Gunnar Watson hit a couple of long passes, uh, one to Deshaun Stoudemire, one to Rajay Johnson. Uh, Interesting fact in this one. So Troy had 411 yards of offense, but only 16 first downs. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we talked about this last week when when Coastal got their doors blown off by James Madison. We were talking about the lack of first downs and how that meant that they weren't striking quickly, but it just meant they couldn't move the football. This was the polar opposite of that. The reason Troy had so few first downs is because they were scoring almost at will, especially in the first half. Um, I, I say this a little facetiously. Is it time to reevaluate whether Gunnar Watson was a hit on my on my side of things or not i mean <laughs> the I guy mean, went- he had a hell of a game uh he finished 12 for 17 318 yards on only 12 completions is absolutely astounding obviously when you've got two 65 plus yard uh 
throws, like you mentioned, to Stoudemire and Johnson. Johnson also caught another 36-yard pass in that game. Uh, That 36-yarder, I believe he caught one-handed as well, one of the best catches I've seen all year. Um, Yeah, Gunnar Watson, I I don't know if I want to call him a hit because uh, despite the yardage, he did only pass the ball 17 times, uh, large part because Troy was in command the whole game. But uh, 12 for 17, incredibly efficient, but it's not nearly enough of a workload for me to make a a change of opinion. That's fair. Um, I just wanted to, to throw that out there and see if the committee would like to reconvene and, and talk about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit, Troy, just with an absolute domination. Um, I mean, coastal was having real trouble, uh, pushing the ball down the field, um, mm-hmm. which is an issue that these Jamie Chadwell offenses I've kind of seen is they want to play very conservative. Obviously they like to run the ball a lot. However, when you're in a spot like this, you can't continue trying to, you know, beat your head against the wall and hope that like these running backs that are going for three, four yards a carry are just going to bust one, especially against a defense like Troy. And you know, y- you also see it takes a situation like this for him to kind of uncork Grayson McCall and let him, you know, throw the ball all over the field, which. You know, it, it was too little too late by the time they sort of took the, the handcuffs off of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the issue is, and like you mentioned, uh, they played really conservative in that, in the opening part of this game. Coast only had, I believe it was 18 yards in the first quarter, uh, which is absolutely miserable. But at some point you recognize, all right, we're not getting it done on the ground, so let's start passing. In the second quarter, you go out and you still don't really let Grayson McCall run uh, run around, play, uh, you know, play like it's the backyard. McCall didn't have an atrocious game. He finished, um, gosh, twenty nine for forty one, which isn't great, but pretty freaking good uh, for three hundred nineteen yards. And I mean, he had two stretches where he was completing ten plus five six passes in a row. Um, there was one point I think late in the second to early in the third quarter where he completed eleven straight passes. And it's just really frustrating to see McCall given that opportunity and take advantage of it when they do start to let him pass the ball 40 times. He does a hell of a job, but it took them a quarter and a half, two quarters to let that happen. Uh, And it's really just infuriating to watch because Grayson McCall, uh, I think anyone who's who's seen him play and anyone who's been around the Sun Belt will agree he is one of, if not the single best quarterbacks this conference has ever seen. Yeah, by by the time Troy had jumped out to that thirty-one to nothing lead, they had the yardage advantage three sixteen to twenty-two, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. I mean, I know Troy's defense is good, but I was I, I was and I've had this issue with Chadwell for a while, which is like when things are going good, you can run that offense where you hand the ball off a ton and are, are doing you know a bunch of stuff like that when you are down and desperately need points you can't wait until it's 31 to 0 to take the the handcuffs off you know mm-hmm. so it didn't help obviously that coastal had the two turnovers troy didn't make any mistakes in this game uh some of the observations that i've had 
uh, I mean, some of the criticisms rather that I had about Coastal's defense had really came to play in this one. Um, they just don't, as a unit, they're not the same team that played in 2020 and had, you know, a, a bunch of really good defenders. These guys, this crew for Coastal does not like to tackle. And I've seen yeah. it firsthand a couple of times where the guys are just, when they carry the ball or, or what have you, are just bouncing off of defenders and defenders aren't wrapping up and getting guys to the ground. They just don't, on the defensive side of the ball, they just don't have that physical element, which is which is tough when you play a team like Troy, who is physical on the defensive side of the ball, is going to hit you in the mouth. So, yeah. I mean, it was a tough matchup for, for Coastal Carolina. You know, coming into this one, McCall had the foot injury. He was playing, you know, who, how, who knows how much that was affecting him. He did run for a touchdown. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think it, it, this kind of goes back to when we were previewing this game. I said, I, I don't really care if McCall plays or not. Like, that doesn't change my pick. I think, I was like, I think Troy def- defeats them either way because if you get 40, 50% of Grace McCall, I don't think that moves the needle enough for me to change my pick. So yeah. this kind of, I, I didn't anticipate Troy's offense exploding like this, but this didn't, the the end result of Troy holding up the Sunbelt title trophy did not surprise me one bit. Mm-hmm. And I guess the counter to that is, as I mentioned earlier, this for all intents and purposes really should have been James Madison versus Troy. And if I give you that matchup, I'm curious if Troy's holding the trophy or the belt at the end of the year, are you surprised if they're playing James Madison in this game instead of Coastal? What do you mean if they if they beat if, if they had been playing James Madison, do you take Troy or are you that confident in Troy um as you were against Coastal if they had been playing James Madison instead? No. Um I mean, I mean this this goes back to that coastal James Madison game too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, McCall didn't play in that one, but on the other side of the of things, James Madison still put up forty seven points in that game. So, right. I I think if those two teams play, and by the way, I, I mean it's a stupid rule, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't really understand it because Georgia Southern their first year in the conference won the Sun Belt title in 2014. So like, I don't really understand why it kicked in for James Madison and didn't kick in for Georgia Southern when it happened. Um, but no, it, I think this is a much closer game. If, if James Madison's playing Troy, James Madison's defense is much better than coastals. I mean, we saw that last week, you know, even, even with the Grace McCall offense of coastal, they just couldn't move. I mean, they couldn't move the ball one bit. So I think I think some of these long passing scores that happened would not have happened if they were playing the Dukes. Um, And I think Todd Centeno at this stage with the injury to McCall's foot or ankle or what have you, I think he's much better than McCall with McCall all banged up. So I think it would, would have been a much more competitive and interesting game to watch, but you know, it, it's sad to say, but, you know, rules are rules and we got the game we got. But again, hats off to Troy. 
absolutely crushed it this year overall. Only lost the one Sunbelt game on a Hail Mary to App. Uh, you know, went 7-0 and the rest of the way outside of the App game. Finished 11-2 and this season. I mean, I, this is sort of the last little observation that I have on this game, but Troy fans, I know I know you love John Summerall now. If he turns in another season like this, bigger programs are gonna come calling mm-hmm. for him after next year. If if they go 10, 10 wins, a Sunbelt West title berth, you know, win the title game the title again, there's gonna be teams like G power five schools around there sniffing saying, Hey, why don't you come coach here instead? So, and I know he's, he's a, he's an alum of Troy. I've, I've also seen it firsthand. It didn't change the way that Scott Satterfield left app. So at the end of the day, money talks and we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that uh, when we start talking about coaching changes. But the last thing I want to sort of ask you on this, how much do you think, because the Jamie Chadwell, and th- this will also segue into the, the coaching change uh, section of the podcast, but how much do you think that Chadwell leaving played into the way that Coastal played this game? Because the reports were out there before this game that Chadwell was leaving after the season and going to take the job at Liberty post two freeze. Do you think that played in, in at all to how Coastal played in this game? Um, it most certainly did, um, and uh, obviously not in any real like tangible. We can't point out, oh, this play happened because they knew Chadwell was leaving, obviously. However, I think this game is a lot closer, and it's a lot closer a lot quicker if Chadwell keeps his trap shut, doesn't say, I'm going to pray over it the night before his bowl game. You know, if he lets that kind of happen externally, I think that this – uh, game is a lot different because, as you mentioned, Troy came out thirty-one to nothing, but from that point on, it was twenty-six fourteen Coastal. It, it took them a half or so to really get into this game, and if you don't have this, oh, our coach is going to leave us. Oh, we're not good enough for this coach. Ah, blah 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 blah. If you take that out of the equation, I guarantee you Coastal starts a little quicker. I guarantee you they don't go down thirty-one nothing. Do they still lose? Probably, as you mentioned, Grayson McCall at 40% isn't going to cut it, uh, especially when your running game also wasn't absolutely astounding today. However, I think this is a lot closer to a, you know, a 1-7 to 10 score uh, point game than it was a 19 point game. Yeah, so... Yeah, so that will pretty much wrap up the 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 championship section of this. Uh, Troy finishes this season, the regular season, eleven and two and seven and one in the Sun Belt. They're go- they're going bowling, obviously. Uh, and by and and just a side note, we we will talk bowl game matchups next week in that edition. Uh, Coastal drops to nine and three this season and finishes six and two in the Sun Belt. So. Let's talk about the coaching change. Uh, Jamie mm-hmm. Chadwell uh, takes the job at Liberty. Uh, for people who don't, who are asking why he would leave Coastal to go to Liberty and why that seems like a lateral job, uh, you know, on the on the surface, it's a money thing. I mean, to be totally honest, it's it's a money thing from what he's getting paid 
to the amount in, you know, NIL facilities, stuff like that, that he'll have to work with at, at Liberty. You know, for, for context, I think he was making around 800000 a season at Coastal. He'll now be making $4 million per year. And I think he's under contract through 2030. So for the next like eight years or so mm-hmm. um, at Liberty. So that obviously was a huge thing that played into it. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Now, he can go a number of different ways. Talking, I'm talking about Grayson McCall. He can enter the draft if he wants to, which I don't... I don't know that this season was the best showing for him to leave college because the guy's kind of a fringe NFL quarterback anyway. You know, nobody's talking about him as a a day two pick, for example. Like mm-hmm. he would fall in that four to seven round range. He can either he can leave for the draft and take his chances there. He can stay at Coastal with their new head coach, uh, who who we'll talk about in a second. He can transfer. He could even transfer to Liberty if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think he's going to end up doing? Because I don't know if if him staying at Coastal is a best move for him. If he wants to stay in, if he wants to become an NFL quarterback, I don't know that staying at Coastal is the best move for him. And I'll talk about why in a second, but. Do you think he follows Chadwell to Liberty and becomes his quarterback? Because, you know, for those who who don't know, Liberty just had Malik Willis taken in the third round a year ago in the NFL draft. So it's Mm -hmm. not as if scouts are overlooking a school like Liberty. And, you know, McCall's already on a lot of NFL radars as far as uh, being a quarterback to look for. So what do you think sort of happens with Grayson McCall? What do you think the best – option for him moving forward would be in terms of what is the best um i i personally believe that i think he would be better off staying at coastal um he he's got a good set of receivers there he is the guy in that locker room and as i said earlier i think he's the best sunbelt quarterback ever and he can just add on to that next year i mean even if he has his career worst year statistically, he is still the best uh, quarterback to ever play in the Sun Belt, at least statistic-wise. And he is, again, most certainly the best quarterback uh, Coastal Carolina has ever seen. So I think if he wants to go play college football or NFL football, the best thing to do is stay where you are. Don't have to worry about, you know, transitioning into a n- – not that Chadwell will change the offense significantly, but a newer offense with new guys, with new coaches, new city. I think just stick with the continuity and you'll be all right. You'll be a day two, day three pick as long as you perform as well as you're capable of. You play all 12 games. I think Grayson McCall can stay at Coastal and be successful. With that said, I can anticipate um, I would not be surprised if he moves to Liberty. I, I think um, he works really well with Chadwell. They complement one another really well. Grayson McCall is a smart guy. Um, he's mobile enough to run Chadwell's offense, and he's already familiar with it. Um, obviously, lots of RPOs, lots of sort of option things in that offense. So 
Chadwell is going to want him to come over because you need a quarterback that knows how to run that offense. And I'm not saying that the guys at Liberty don't know how to run that offense, but they don't know it as well as Chadwell does, or I'm sorry, as McCall does, and as well, and will never know it as well as McCall does. So I think Chadwell, if he knows what's good for him, if he wants this to look like a, a real career move instead of just a cash grab, he needs to drag McCall kicking and screaming with him over to Liberty, um, and those guys are going to do something. Obviously, they play an independent schedule, so it's a little softer, but those guys are going to do good things again if they stick together. See, I, I, I would go a little bit of different direction on it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were McCall, this would be my chance to do a couple of things that I think would help him both in the short term and the long term. I would definitely go into the transfer portal. I would because you can always just back out. Like yep. you can you can stay at Coastal if things don't work out. I think that offer for to be Liberty's quarterback would be there with Chadwell. So you'd have that if you did if you just absolutely wanted to make a move and say, "Hey, you know, I, I've done everything I can at Coastal. I don't want to start over with a new offense, with a new play caller, um, and an offensive mind." Uh, so I'm going to enter the portal. I, I think what I would do if I was McCall is I would put, I would kind of poke my head in and see if there were any power five schools that needed a quarterback mm-hmm. um, that would be willing to take him. And I know that there, are, I believe the last time I saw there were 71 quarterbacks in the portal total. It's going to be a crazy year. It's, it's insane. Um, it's a it's a buyer's market, which may benefit a team like Georgia Southern, who's losing their quarterback to to graduation. But mm. I don't know how much more of how how many of them have the resume and like the pedigree that McCall has and the name value even. So mm. I would poke my head in and see if there were any Power Five schools that were looking to add me to their roster. Um, I'm looking at like UCLA seeing if they're a potential fit. I could go play for Chip Kelly. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know who all is, is buying as far as uh, portal quarterbacks go. But there's also, if you latch on to one of these big power five schools, you know, you get, an, you get a job at, let's say he's Missouri's quarterback next year. There's a lot mm-hmm. more NIL money to be made at a school like Missouri that's in the SEC than there is at Coastal. Um and if you're playing on Saturdays in the SEC, you're going to have a lot more eyeballs on you than you would at Coastal, especially post-Chadwell, because I don't know about you, I'm sort of expecting them to fall uh, off a little bit from where they have been. So that would be what I would do if I was McCall, is I would I would use Liberty as my last resort, but I would also see if there were any power five schools that came calling for me and that I think would be a good fit for my talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the real, the real decision is just going to come down to is how close does Grayson McCall think he is to being an NFL talent? Because uh, we both agree this might not be the right time for him. He should probably stay uh, and play another year. But depending on if he thinks he's right there on the cusp and just needs uh, another year to be an NFL level quarterback, he'll probably stay. 
But if he thinks, uh, you know, I still need to work, I still need to improve, um, I still need to take a much larger step, I agree with you. I think he would move then, if not to Liberty, to a bigger program where you're probably going to have better coaches, but you're also just going to have more attention on you so that, you know, you can get away with being a worse quarterback at a Power 5 school than you can be a better uh, quarterback at G5. So uh, I guess the real decision is just going to come down to where does – Grayson McCall evaluate himself as a quarterback and uh, how close does he think he is to playing in the NFL? So just one, one quick thing um, that you mentioned, Liberty is actually moving into conference USA starting next year. Okay. Um, So they will be able to compete for a conference title. I think of this stage, the way that conference USA is aligned right now, I think they're easily outside of UTSA, the the hands down favorite to be in the in the title game next year. Mm-hmm. Um, now maybe Tom Herman does some incredible work just rebuilding FAU and that FAU becomes a, a power. But right now, the top three in football next year to me are Liberty, UTSA, and UAB. And then everybody else is kind of a step below. So we'll see what happens with Grayson McCall. Let's transition to what Coastal does now. Mm-hmm. So Coastal hires NC State offensive coordinator Tim Beck. Um, now, something that I have seen online, and I don't know if you've seen any of this, apparently NC State fans were ready to be rid of him before he took this job. So there hasn't been any... You know, oh man, we lost a a winner in this one from NC State fans. They were ready to be this guy to move on and not have to deal with him anymore, um, which is not great for that's not great projection for Coastal fans moving forward into next year, mm-hmm. especially if you're having to replace McCall. Like if McCall doesn't stick around, now there there there's been a, one positive and one negative as to him taking this job the number one that i've seen negative is sort of what i just mentioned is like nc state fans don't care that he's moving on uh and but the one positive that i've seen that may be the reason why he's got the job is because apparently he recruits the carolinas really well so mm-hmm. that area of the us you know north carolina south carolina maybe even dipping into like north georgia stuff like that Apparently, he does a great job of recruiting. He's just not a great play caller from what I've seen people say. Have you seen any of that? Um, I've seen a little bit of the um, maybe not the good riddances, but the it's okay that you're leaving. Um, I've not read anything about his uh, recruiting skill, but that's not to say he isn't the recruiter you're saying he is. I just personally not read that. Um, but my, my concern, obviously, this is his first – um, head coaching job at, at this level, which is always scary, always difficult. Um, but what what alleviates my concern there is you said that uh, NC State's biggest qualm with him was his, you know, perhaps mixed bag of play calling. As a head coach, you're not calling the plays, or at least you don't, you're not expected to. You can hire a guy to do that for you. And so, um, I, I think if he's as good a recruiter as 
what you're reading. And as I look into this more, I'm just, you know, Google Tim Beck recruiting and you get these headlines that say pretty much what you just said. He's a, he's a great recruiter, especially locally. Um, I think he may be a good fit here. It's just, as you said, they're going to, they may have to replace McCall, which will be difficult. And it could be uh, a good two or three years um, in the middle of the pack for the Chanticleers over the next couple of years if McCall does decide to leave and uh, you've got Beck trying to kind of build that offense from the ground. Yeah, I mean, what you mentioned about the play calling, a lot of times in situations like this where you have a guy that has been an offensive coordinator multiple times at different schools, and he's got a great – I mean, if you just look at the resume, like the pedigree is is hard to beat, you know. Offensive coordinator at Nebraska, offensive mm-hmm. coordinator, co-OC at Ohio State, uh, you know, offensive coordinator at Texas, offensive coordinator at NC State. A lot of times it's hard for guys like that when they take a new job and become a head coach to hand those play-calling duties off to someone else. Um, mm-hmm. So – as much as as much as he could hire somebody, a lot of these guys just believe in themselves so much that they just don't want to hand the the job over to someone else. So we'll have to see what what all sort of transpires to that. There's a lot that still needs to play out on the coastal side of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, just sort of wrapping this up, we can get into the last coaching change here. You said you had some things to talk about with this, but Texas State officially hires. Uh, G.J. Kinney, I believe his last name is pronounced Kinney. Yep. Um, he comes over having been the head coach at FCS Incarnate Word uh, last year. Incarnate Word uh, finished in, in Kinney's only season as the head coach. 11-1, and one, uh, finished first in the Southland Conference and is currently still in the FCS playoffs. So... Um, I, I guess he has just moved on, even though his team is still alive in the playoffs. Um, but man, he's got a real task ahead of him in this, with this job. Um, you know, I, I know 24 seven sports isn't the end all be all for recruiting stuff, but I was checking the Sunbelt recruiting rankings earlier today mm-hmm. and there are 13 teams listed. The problem with that is there are 14 teams in the Sun Belt. Texas State's not on the page at all. I assume they have zero recruits because of how uh, Spavadol was running that team. So he's got a lot to do as far as rebuilding, like we talked about this last week, rebuilding the relationships with high school head coaches in, in the state of Texas, which is obviously super talent rich. But, man, he, he it seems like it's going to be an uphill climb for a couple of years while he sort of gets his his guys there. Yeah, my my concern with Kinney is that uh, you made this comparison last uh, last episode after Spavadol got fired, and I really loved it. Was that this is going to be a uh, a ULM type rebuild where you probably want a guy that's been around, uh, as you said, maybe pseudo retired, not necessarily see, uh, actively searching a job uh, that can rebuild those recruiting relationships with high schools, um, rebuild a coaching staff full of. Uh, guys that you know know what they're doing in terms of developing players and developing relationships with uh recruits kenny albeit i watched not a single minute of incarnate word football this year i don't know if he's that guy he's pretty young uh this is his first big job 
Um, and he only spent, admit it, Incarnate Ward 11 and 1 this year and still in the playoff. That's his only year with them. Uh, and previous to that, it wasn't like he brought Incarnate Word from the Ashes. They were 10-3 and in 2021. Um, so this is just a really difficult um, first head coaching or first FBS coaching job. It's the kind of thing you would do in Madden where you're just like, ah, screw it. I'm going to take over the failing Colts and rebuild them from scratch. But it's not that easy. Um, it, it's going to be really difficult for him. And I think uh, it's a bold career decision to come here and decide that this is where you're going to plant your flag. This is the program I'm going to rebuild um, this team that, as you mentioned, as far as we know, don't have any freshmen coming up from the high school ranks. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as that, that sort of, um, you know, elder statesman coach, I mentioned on the last episode uh, that Casey Keeler at Sam Houston state was one of the guys that mm-hmm. I was thinking about because he had been around a while. He lives in the state of Texas already. He's already got some of those relationships, you know, with high schools and their and their coaches and, and players and stuff like that. I saw that he interviewed for the job, but ultimately they they went the direction of hiring Kinney. Um, another weird thing was, uh, you know, Kinney went to Tulsa and played his his college football at Tulsa. Well, Tulsa was also an open job, and uh, apparently Tulsa elected or he elected to to choose Texas State to be closer to where he grew up. So I, I saw a couple of Tulsa fans were a little miffed uh, about that. But, um, yeah, like uh, there's nothing that I really haven't already said as far as the the rebuilding job that he's going to have to do. I'd almost, le- I'd almost go out on a limb as to say it's worse than taking over ULM because at least at ULM they didn't burn a bunch of bridges with high school coaches in the in the Louisiana area the same way Spavadol did with Texas State. So I think it's going to be a really tough couple of years. Um, You know, hopefully he he does better for his sake than than Spavadol did. Um, You know, he's he's only been a head coach at that level for one year. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Spavadol apparently has already landed on his feet and become the OC for the California Golden Bears. So good for him. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think it's just going to be a really tough job all around. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, not a, not a ton to add to that because we've all seen how Texas State has done over the past couple of years. And we all had never heard of G.J. Kinney until three days ago. And I, I think that just kind of illustrates the story of how difficult this is going to be for him. Yeah, for sure. So that pretty much does it for this uh, episode. Um, you know, just t- just talking the the Sun Belt Championship game and the coaching changes. Zeke, do you have any sort of last minute thoughts? And if not, tell folks where they can find you on social media. No, we hit it all, Brian. Uh, I am on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z E K E P A L E R M O. Talk college football, pro football, sports there, and I know you're on Twitter as well. Yeah, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Watch the Stone. Um, there's, you know, we're we're still, you know, weeks away from the the Georgia Southern Bowl game, but once that 
sort of rolls around, I'll have, you know, a preview of that game against Buffalo up. Um, so next week we will be back. We will preview all of the Sunbelt bowl games. Um, they've all been announced, but you know, we wanted to get this out and get a little bit closer before we started talking about all of those. So this has been another edition of the underdog dynasty Sunbelt podcast. Mm-hmm.